Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Don Merkis and David Schnee, principals at Group 4. Don is an active proponent of user-based planning and design, and David is principal of Group 4 as well. For more information, feel free to visit www.g4arch.com. That's www.g4arch.com. Hello, Don. Hello, David. We're we're honored and happy to have you on the Modern Architect radio show today. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Privilege. Thank you. No, it's our privilege. You know, I like to start with early inspiration. Don, what, if you can take, go back as far as you can recall to when you had the idea to be an architect or felt the inclination to be an architect, share with our audience. Yeah. Well, I, I think, the earliest time I recall being interested in structures and interested in design was actually when I was probably about 11 or 12 years old and being able to play in a project that my dad was developing. So being able to play in the structure of a condominium building that was under construction, just framed, and actually being able to go in and out through the walls and seeing the structure, seeing the infrastructure, the systems come in, and then also seeing the architect's renderings from what it's going to be. And actually just being able to experience a building that was not yet constructed, but in progress, um, was fascinating. And just the mixture of design, art, and engineering uh, was very intriguing to me from very young. Yeah, so, it sounds like it was a calling in essence. Well, Somewhat. it was actually hide-and-seek at the time. <laughs> no, but, really? It was? <laughs> That's great. But yeah, it was, you know, a different way to experience buildings than you would not have typically and just very engaging and intriguing for a young person. It was really fun. Excellent, excellent. David, your uh, early inspirations or experience too. Well, you became an architect and loved the field. Right. And uh, so I grew up in Boston and uh, grew up in a wonderful architectural environment and talking about hide and seek and (laughs) playing in uh, Paycop Freed's uh, Christian Science Center with beautiful colonnades, uh, Le Corbusier inspired. My father was a retired 
the defense engineer at a lab connected to MIT and as a Boston high school kid had the good fortune of partaking in a version of career discovery at Harvard, which allowed high school kids to come in and uh, be in Gunt mm-hmm. Hall and enjoy uh, doing a session both on urban design, architecture and landscape architecture and a little kid uh, taking the tea into Harvard Square and going to Gunt Hall and seeing all of the fantastic studios there was made it a calling from uh, then on in and just finding growing up in Boston at the time I did was the dawning of one of the first uh, environmental architectural movements there went to Cornell uh, learned rigorous design was had to go put into uh, hide my uh, sustainable and social factors did work. you really yeah that was a uh, don't show people in section like unless you're in the uh, modular man uh, like Le Corbusier and I had a secret collection of uh, books and writings that I realized after time were all from UC Berkeley uh, authors <laughs> oh, really? and so I said oh I have to go there for graduate school okay. after getting licensed and uh, sort of combine the design aspects of uh, Cornell which I really liked and the the social and environmental factors of uh, of Berkeley. Uh, Berkeley. What, what, you know, how, I know we discussed earlier, but how did the group four come about? It was actually four Berkeley grads okay. and a hijacked <laughs> HOK experienced oh, architect who started the firm back in 1976 and worked out of their, um, one of their father's offices and was able to be streetwise and go out and drum up some work and started in public architecture almost immediately, actually. I like how you said that, streetwise. So there was an element of, uh, you got to go out there and get the business. Yeah. And for, you know, not having any projects for them to be able to go out and start to win public projects is very significant because, you, you know, there is a process to go through for selection in terms of qualifications, experience, and immediately they were getting the public projects, which has really set the path for the firm from the beginning. Yeah. So public projects is a the yes. primary, if yes. not exclusive. Right. And that's uh, a big aspect of the firm. Probably 85% of our work is public sector work and having a way to make real positive impact in the community's work. The, talking about the firm's origins, what really attracted me to the firm uh, so many years ago was it's the firm's full name, Group 4 Architecture, Research, and Planning is our full uh, legal okay. name. And all aspects of that are what are really central to our our firm, like that we've had uh, integral in our practice every type of really creative community engagement and stakeholder engagement, that it's really not about us coming in with our black capes and saying <laughs> what's uh, what's going to be best for the client, but really finding a way to, to hear from users and non-users alike and uh, really find ways to, where's the best idea going to come from? It could be anyone there and not coming in with a low ego and high energy aspect of it and really finding ways to pull out that type of aspect yeah. is something that's been in the firm's DNA all along and then trying to be thought leaders uh, doing research with our clients independently as well to inform our work so that we can just be more impactful. Yeah, I, I love the, uh, on your website, you've got the we evaluate each design against four overall considerations. You've got the environment, economy, community, and culture. Yes. Yeah. So really, I I think, I don't know what else anyone would have to find out. That like kind of sums up a lot. But I'd imagine it took a long time to get to those points. 
Did it? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it did. And I, you know, I think the initial partners kind of set the foundation, but then our generation, David's and mine as owners, has taken it to the next level and really kind of embraced who the firm is and what the firm is about and are really bringing in the future generation to take our mm-hmm. culture and our values and expand those even further. So I think it's been a great journey. And I think, you know, just as our our work is a practice, the firm is a practice too. And just always kind of planting the seeds and letting things germinate and continue to grow has yeah. been part of our... Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you picked out those aspects on our website. We actually break it down to, we even call it a formula, E squared plus C squared, that environment, economy, oh, okay. community, and culture. Because to make a project truly successful and impactful, you have to have all of them. So we're committed on each project to... Uh, drive each project to the highest levels of sustainability, whether it's LEED Platinum and ZE. We're hoping to do some of our first living building challenge projects coming forward. But then uh, economically, we're working public sector projects, and you can design this beautiful gem, and if they can't be uh, operated in a way that is intuitive for the uh, public to use, for staff to operate, then you can have these beautiful projects that sit closed. And it's yeah. not a sustainable building yeah. that we hear in the community aspects. How big should this building be? Well, we want it to be open as less than a particular square footage. So keeping those things balanced together and then finding ways through uh, the architecture to reflect and celebrate community values and collaborations with artists, which we've been privileged to do on so many of our projects, yeah. then becomes the cultural aspect of it. Yeah. So then that culture, I love it. It's our, our identity develops those rare spaces that embraces their user. Users, it sounds like you're looking that you're actually starting the project through people outwards. Am absolutely. I incorrect? Or? No, that's okay. absolutely correct. In developing our initial designs, working not just with a selective user group, I think one of our processes is reaching out to entire communities and having them provide us input on their values. If their values mm-hmm. are environmental, if it's about indoors, outdoors, warmth, engaging public spaces, just being able to draw out from the community what's most important to them are things then that we can integrate into our designs that then reflect back to the community what's most important to them. And I think that's really key to us building these projects that create these strong foundations for projects to move through early inception to funding to construction. And what Dawn was saying about design values, so many folks and clients are thinking, well, what are people's design preferences? And everybody's got their preference for materials or aesthetics. We try to transcend all of that. But in a community, what makes a community unique? Is it family? Is it engagement? Is environment? Uh, When we work in Colorado Springs, they're connected to the the mountains and having that outdoor ethos. Other communities are really, it's about uh, fiduciary and being really mindful of the the public dollars and so bringing value in. And so we think, how do we translate people's of design values into giving the criteria, as Dawn said, to let us use our artistry and talents to give form to it. But they say, is this a warm and inviting building? Is it a landmark? Is it something that's colorful or playful? Like I loved on the story of uh, we try to get as many of our buildings to have uh, really be things that you can explore experientially. Really? Uh, we a think a about building the, to explore, not just to use. Right. And uh, it's the whole procession of going through spaces and how spaces interact. And that's our creating the, the volumes and how you bring light into spaces. And even if it's a small building or a large campus, it's all the, how but they it's, all But it's also the values that bring the community together. And I, you know, a lot of our projects 
projects will have traditionalist against contemporary people who like modern architecture. And by using values, we're able to bridge the different styles and be able to bring people together to have them be able to, you know, well, having natural lighting is very important to me. Mm -hmm. And if we're able to demonstrate that in our models and our renderings and how we're going to deliver that to them, then the architectural and that style is not so important because it's really about what we're able to deliver in terms of implementing those values that are important to them. It's really powerful. And then we come back after this process and we see those diverse stakeholders who wanted it to go one particular direction or another. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, I feel you really hurt us. And I see those values still in the building, even though I never would have imagined it would look like that. Yeah, that's incredible. So you're taking like the emotions of the people, the communities values and then you're actually creating obviously the building and the structure yeah. based on kind of nothing <laughs> no no not only mean that people's emotions and values are nothing but it's it's not really tangible so do you have mental processes or or strategic processes that you go through to kind of go let me take this intangible these intangible elements and actually bring it to life cuz that's a really uh that's a unique talent especially you in the you you work in the public yeah. but your buildings look they don't look public at all i mean other than the name it looks like someone really built it that cared and then that's kind of a slide on a lot of older <laughs> public buildings really it is i look like there's a certain warmth to it let me say there's a warmth to a public building which is typically not the expectation that's great. Yeah, it's that's a, quite the compliment. Uh, yeah, Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm just coming up while we're talking and yeah. hearing, hearing what you're saying. It's- well, and I think I think what helps us bridge a lot of the differences in communities is really relating to site, too. And each site is unique. Each building should be unique. And each building should reflect the community that we're building it for. And I think by using those as our criteria... We're able to develop buildings that soon become part of the community and not part of our practice. And, and that, I think, is something that's really what gives me the satisfaction in my work and working with communities. Excellent. You're listening to the Modern Architect Radio Show on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Comprehensive information on Bay Area classical music concerts can be found at the San Francisco Classical Voice website, sfcv.org. For daily, weekly, or monthly information on classical music concerts throughout the Bay Area, simply visit sfcv.org. We're talking today with Don Merkis and David Schnee of Group 4 Architecture. For more information, feel free to visit wwwg 4 arch.com that's g4arch.com david don we're talking about how do you clients that you work with and i know you work with the the public are there uh do you reach out to them do they come to you a little bit both no a lot of the the first (laughs) we go to them Oh, really? So you're actively engaging with the... Yeah, no, we go to farmer's markets, we go to the libraries, we go to city halls, we go to street fairs, we have traditional community meetings, we have open house drop-in sessions, always on their ground, and if we can meet them in their home, in their natural environment, all the better. So you're definitely not intimidating going to their space nope. to show how you can actually 
prospectively improve their space. Right. So behind us uh, here, we have these uh, three foot by seven foot boards that okay. we call our mobile design studios. And because we, the old model would be the client has to come and comes to our office mm-hmm. and be impressed by our space. But here, as Dawn <laughs> yeah. said, we need to bring our office to yeah. the community in all of these different venues. So these boards fold up in the backseat of a car. They can go into kiosks. We can have three of them. We can have 30 of them. Uh, they really attract people to be drawn yeah. to them. Then we bring our VR headsets as well and people can then really? look at it and then be oh, engaged uh, uh, into what does this picture look like I won't put on the headset and go and uh, experience it trailers that go in front of movie nights in the parks so that they can actually it's being broadcast to the community at that point and really reaching out and welcoming and encouraging their participation and if yeah. I go back to what you were asking before about the intangibles aspect of it I what I was thinking that all this engagement, where's it leading to? What are we trying to do? It's all about active listening. And one, we find all sorts of ways to record what people's comments are and to have them engage and help shape, whether it's through uh, charrettes with teens or with senior citizens for uh, veterans or a, a multi-generational center. And we take all this input. We're looking for the inspirations or the stories that can translate both the design values, the understanding of site, and then the program that we have together and make what is this project really about that becomes the heart of the community. And we have to really listen. It shouldn't be just for we're, it's not coming just from us. It's out there through all this engagement. We hear it and we hear common threads and that's a, it's, it's fun. You have to, but it's a lot of work. To, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. You did an excellent job, David, especially since we're on radio, you use the old theater of the mind. Hmm. Yeah. It, really good visuals on what we're seeing there. So how would, how is the community obviously responded? You've got a, a number of projects that you do, but it seems like you really, uh, it's very engaging. Yeah. You know, like the whole community gets in front of it. I, I've seen on your website, it looks like they're drawn to it. And that's obviously by design. Yeah. And, then, and uh, you know, are there suggestions you take as oh, well? Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. So, you know, just at every phase, every kind of touch point in the project, we're always making sure to engage the community to get their input to help inform the community leaders that, you know, we are going in the right direction. There's community support. A lot of our projects actually need to go out and get community funded. They need to go on a ballot measure. And so making sure that we start out listening and getting the assessments, the Mm -hmm. needs assessment from the community and their input into what is being recommended, what they're then potentially going to be asked to help fund is really critical because, you know, if if the community isn't behind what's being proposed and if they're not a part of that, then the chances of them moving ahead with it are less likely. Yeah. Is there a time frame from beginning to that initial community engagement that you have? Or is, uh, I would think it varies, but is there a so I would say it's typically a three, each phase is like three part process. The first one is listening and that would be the assessments. The second one would be take options to them and get their input and weigh in on the options. And the third phase would be the recommendations and just the approvals as well as additional input and comments for refinement as projects move forward. Our projects can last a very long time. One project that is just now moving forward, we started in 2012. Did you really? It was funded in March. <laughs> and, you know, just a huge community process. The council recently asked us to go up back to the community and get input on design options and in 
three, maybe four four weeks, we had over 1,200 community members participate, either online surveys, kiosk, farmer's market, or kiosks that were left in two community spaces. So you take all of that and bring it into your process. Yes. Yeah, it's a kind of seems daunting in a way. I mean, no, really, it it just it's a lot of lot of time, effort, and energy put into that. Yes. Yeah, you have yeah. to be yeah. there for the long game. You have to be patient, and uh, we probably weed out half of the architectural community right from the get go uh, in terms of their interest and willingness to uh, fit in uh, as our team. Like we look for staff that are involved in the community, whether it's through a house of faith, it's through a social organization, doing volunteer work in schools, coaching on a team, something that has the <gasps> folks out there who are used to the, the yeah. process and uh, can still thrive in that and enjoy get yeah. energy from that as well, though it's, as you say, <laughs> it's, you have to be patient. Yeah, but I really want to quantify the value that you bring to a community and not just saying that as lip service, but really, in some ways, you may be more active than the actual, <laughs> the people who are in a political capacity at a city. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely we are, when we team with the city, we are that active team member going out, engaging the community to try and understand exactly what is the right fit for that community because it may not be initially what they expected to be. Mm-hmm. And we've actually had projects where we're hired to do a specific project and through our process has drastically changed what the building was even built as. From being hired to do a senior center, having it turn and transition into a building that had a black box theater in it, a daycare in it, a senior lounge in it, a history room in it, as well as an art gallery. And that was just because the process took us through that and that was one of the needs that the community felt was very important to be met. Very unique result as well. Yeah. It sounds like you, um, as much as you're obviously great professionals, but you, you have a care. Most definitely. Yeah. Right. There, there's a care level that's pretty, that runs pretty deep that I don't think every, everyone sees all the time and understands what goes into creating these, uh, I call them works of art, but... Is what makes you guys care, really? Well, we're so lucky to be invited in. Of course, we have to uh, chase the work like everyone else and compete for (laughs) our projects. But uh, we're invited invited in and have the opportunity to, in most of the communities we work, our projects are going to be the landmark in their communities for generations uh, to come. That's right. That's that's, uh, a great privilege. It's a great responsibility and feel... But uh, they're transformative places, too. So being able to do libraries, being able to do facilities that give children the opportunity to read, give places for homeless to come and access information, charge their phones, to be able to give a place where the seniors can go every single day, feel comfortable and be a part of the community, being able to do community centers, being able to do, you know, just all the different types of buildings we do. They're the transformative buildings in a community. And I I think that is incredible that we're able to come into these different communities and help them meet a whole different, you know, a whole variety of needs in facilities that reach out and touch a huge part of their population. Yeah, that's just Sandy. I I love a piece here I'm going to go back to. It says that we cherish balance between our professional and personal lives. Is it really balanced? (laughs) Really? I mean, because it's just so involved at 
both levels as a profession and as a person. And then how do you kind of, is there a blurring of the line at all? There is no line. <laughs> Okay. You answered there is it. No line. You you answered no, when it. you're showering in the morning. You're thinking about what's happening at work. When you're playing volleyball on the beach, you're thinking about different things. I mean, when you're with your, it's it's lovely. There there is no line. I love it. And, that's a great that's, great yes answer. There is no there is no line. How the culture at Group Four now that you have it? I know you've discussed it when we uh, first started our show, but share with us, you know, how you kind of came about. This is the kind of culture we want here, and these are the kind of people that we we want to be a part of us. Right, and as Don described, the original space that we were in, a historic bank building, had almost bank cubicles and all that. Oh. Everybody was in the the old model, and we've dissolved maybe. 20 plus years ago to open benching techniques, which is now standard in mm -hmm. all sorts of uh, enterprises. And we're actually evolving past that to be more looking for more flexible lounge like seating oh. and environments that those just at this blurred line, we're working in all sorts of different ways. It's not just sitting in front of the large screen or two screens at your desk, but it's on your tablet, on your laptop, at the cafe, standing, walking meetings, just trying to create a place very collaborative. All of our desks are also on wheels as well. And we reorganize our office about every couple months to have the teams beside each couple other. Couple months by design. Yeah. And so we, okay. sometimes it's five people, 10 people moving. Uh, maybe once a year, we'll have everybody move around. It just helps also clear the detritus that still collects. And we are trying to get to be more, fewer and fewer sort of physical artifacts, except places to draw and pin up. And Yeah. But I think our organization too, just, you know, when I started working during my summer years at school, I'd work for a very traditional architectural firm. You stayed in your cubicle as a junior and you never left. I did hardware schedules for a whole summer one year and it was terribly painful. Right. And then, you know, just getting up to the next level working and then having the expectation that you're going to work 10 hours and get paid for eight hours and, you know, just never be engaged with clients, never be able to participate in early parts of projects and part of the visioning. So our culture is completely different. The juniors immediately start coming to meetings with us. They do outreach with us. It is like night and day from when I was a junior. Was that something you decided then that I do not want anyone to experience? Because <laughs> sometimes they're born from that. That is absolutely true. Okay. And just very open door, very transparent as we look at the structure of different positions, the different compensation, different benefits. There's incentives, there's rewards built in. Really? But, incentives even? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very unique. <laughs> but again, yeah. I think it's all, we try to be very fair and very much as a family. I, I like, we've it kind of developed, like um, we want to have family values, but not family dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again, family values without the family dynamics. Exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah. And yeah. So. so do you see when you, when you, I notice you have a lot of bicycles here and I think you and I, you, you and I, Don, talked a little bit ago about how getting people, they come on the train, your yes. workers come on train, you're, they're welcome to put their, the bicycles, bicycles are in the front. Yes. Yeah. They're not yeah. like hidden away somewhere. No, they're very, they're nice pieces of art. No, I they really those. are. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Yeah. I'd say almost everyone in the office has a love of the outdoors and travel. That's probably the universal aspect. Really? So there's a the theme between almost everyone. It's, yeah. yeah can, how do you spot 
the people that work with you? Do, can you see them pretty quickly or no? You have to, there's kind of a, not an onboarding, but a process that you go through to say, you know what, I think these are the people that would really work well and would really, our clients would really like I as well. I think it's both. I think there's, sometimes there's that affinity that you just feel immediately when we engage with a potential employee or, and then others, you're like pleasantly surprised. It's, <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, it's like, well, you know, and we're very diligent about the hiring process and, you know, want to make sure we get a right fit for both. And so we'll go sometimes through three, four, five interviews, which is a lot for a firm of our size, but we feel like it's worth the investment to make sure the people that are brought in are are well positioned for success and that the person from their perspective as well. But there are the surprises that you think, well, that's not exactly where I thought that person would go, but isn't this great? So That's terrific. This is The Modern Architect in KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. Stanford's Native American Cultural Center serves as a hub for Native student organizations, programming, and library resources serving the university's Native American students. For nearly half a century, Stanford has been committed to helping American Indians, Alaska Natives, Native Hawaiians, and Indigenous Pacific Islanders adjust to life here at Stanford and realize their goals in preparing for the future. To learn more, visit nacc.stanford.edu. We're talking today with Don Merkis and David Schnee of Group 4, principals at Group 4. For more information, feel free to visit www.g4arch.com. That's www.g4arch.com. With architecture evolving rapidly, or almost monthly, how have you seen the difference in the last, say, four or five years in that evolution with architecture from your experiences? Well, I think one of the interesting evolutions is the sustainable design directions. I would say, you know, when LEED came about and was initially brought into our practice, that the clients that we work with, the cities that we work with were a little reticent because of the cost and then it became more common and people were moving through accepting it and becoming almost all of our projects are LEED certified at some level. It's kind of gone full circle now where with the California Building Code evolving such that a lot of the sustainable criteria are built into the Title 24 requirements, Cal Green, that their determination that they need to be lead is not so important. But what is really kind of very still important to them is sustainability. Mm -hmm. And so looking for net zero energy buildings, looking for buildings that are sustainable, but not necessarily needing to have to get the plaque or get the lead documentation yeah. in order to have that additional cost is, is not as important to them. But those values are still important for sustainability. I think that is something I've seen in the last four or five years significantly change from our projects. Yeah. It's a very dynamic time. Yeah. Uh, building technologies are changing, but so we're at this blend between the timelessness of design excellence and how do you deploy that through new technologies, new types of spaces, new social organizations within communities. So it's just been a, a really wonderful time to always look at each project as an opportunity for how do we advance our understanding of this project and what we're doing at work and collaborate with our clients yeah. and thought leadership as well. Yeah. 
How is it? Can you share with us a story that, of a project that kind of went south a little bit and that you brought back to like it, it just the completion of it? It was just uh, magnificent. I mean, if you're at Liberty, you don't have to oh, share yeah. the names, um, but I'd love to hear a story of, of a project that kind of, for whatever reason, even if it's outside of uh, anyone's control, wasn't going as planned and yet you pulled it through. I'm sure there's a number, but if you if you have one in particular, I'm very fortunate. There's not a number. That's but. perfect. You got these great answers. Um, You're a I thousand. think one of you know. I think having. I, I guess one project that comes to mind is the Mitchell Park Community Center Library project, and went through extremely challenging time with a contractor, big delay in the construction schedule, but really working hand in hand with the city. And with the construction manager, at some point, the contractor was actually let go and another contractor oh. brought on to finish the project, oh. which was extremely painful for the community to watch, extremely painful for the project team to watch. But actually now going back and seeing it in place and under operations is astounding. I mean, I was there for a maker's fair doing a presentation on the sustainable design aspects of that mm-hmm. building, which is lead platinum building. It's a landmark library, one of 14 across the nation. It's just won all kinds of accolades, but the accolades don't mean anything other than being there and seeing there was probably 2,000 people in the building that day. They were filling every single corner, using every single space. And it was just, you know, it was definitely that community's building and they were loving it and enjoying every single aspect of it. Yeah. And for your local listeners, the uh, Mitchell Park Library in Palo Alto has a Mm -hmm. story that's even before the construction, which is how we got the project and worked with the community to get it funded. The earliest phase of the design, we uh, worked in a very tight site as part of this uh, park and worked around beautiful gum tree and a uh, live oak tree, but needed to relocate tennis courts. And oh. at this point of a $40 million oh. ballot measure uh, to fund this project went on. And it just, the community was feeling, well, we don't know that there's a place for these tennis courts to be relocated. And there was just a, a general feeling that, hmm, what's in this for the community? And there was uh, some concerns about, would it be successful? And the ballot measure didn't pass. And some oh. communities might say, okay, we're going to shelve the idea. And yeah. not to, but they reorganized, went and listened again, realized that we actually needed to provide improvements to the other locations in the city, the downtown library, the Rinconado Well, it library. actually got smaller. It had included the art center initially and other things. So it actually was a much bigger, more expensive project initially, which included things beyond the libraries. And then really focusing down at the second round on what the immediate needs were for the community. Successfully passed $70 million bond measure which funded the three libraries and a new community center. Oh, so it, how much is actually the human element or the, how much do you do design and then actually the managing of the people involved? Well, it's a, oh, it's completely both. There's uh, okay. another blurred line there because you talk about the, the people aspects. It's really hearing from the community and what they valued and the courtyard of the community center part of Mitchell Park is an outdoor circulation around a, a beautiful heritage live oak tree. It is just a spectacular feature and it just encourages the very contemporary architecture, the views with it. We use it for inspirations and sunshades. It's just a a combination of both design and listening to the people. Yeah. Have you ever, I'm sure you have, but if you can recall the many times that you've actually sat back and looked at a project that, you know, by everyone's agreement is completed and seen the public's response to it and heard, heard and kind of felt 
their response to it. If you can share I, a story. I think those are our favorite days. Either in West Sacramento when they opened up the new community center there and you're sitting in this outside the building and the mayor is speaking and you're elbow to elbow with about I don't know, 2,000 people, it seemed like. And the mayor's up there talking about this being the new heart of their community. It's just, you know, at that point, it's, it's been, it's been your project because it's in your office. We're doing the drawings, you know, we're reviewing it. We're doing the site inspections. But once those doors open, once the community comes in, I think that's really an amazing feeling because you realize, oh, it's really not my project. It's their project. <laughs> and it's That's really fascinating that you say that. It's not your project. It's their project. Yeah. And, but you're obviously the caretaker. And the, to a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> to, no, yeah, to, to a certain exp- point. But I like how you said the heart of a community. So almost every single, if not every single project that you've done is the heart of a community. Yes. Not, not just like a building somewhere no. or a place. It's the heart you have to work on. How does it, that's a big responsibility. It's the, yeah. what energizes us to come to work each day and to sketch and sketch again and model and model again and to go through all these meetings to find those opportunities. And you're talking about, again, what Don said is exactly right. Like those are the, the big payoffs for the very first high is when you've won a job after a big competition, then you realize, oh boy, now I got to do the work. And it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. But then the next really wonderful big high, the super big high is when you've opened it and you get all of those wows and have the privilege of taking one of our lead designers and myself back to uh, Dayton, Ohio, where they've invested in $187 million bond program. We're the lead designers for a number of those libraries there. And it was the opening of their flagship main library. And it was able, my uh, lead designer and myself were able to bring our fathers uh, both to come. And my really? father said, oh. Uh, this was one of the best days of his life to, oh. to see everyone's reactions to it. And it was just wonderful to be able to share that since he was, uh, I learned to draft in his laboratory as a kid. And to oh, that's awesome. See that that's beyond awesome. Yeah. yeah, that really is. But yeah, yeah, just thinking after where we're doing this is, um, I mean, architects have different responsibilities. Everyone does. But to do the, you're working on the very heart of the community that will become an icon, at least, of that community. And you're gathering everyone from the communities, their intelligence, their wisdom, their experiences, good and bad, and then to actually birth an a place yeah. to that. And how do you do it? You know, I notice your work is it's, um, I, I can only can think of where it's kind of timeless in that I think with these buildings, if you look at it 50 years from now, it may look at least as good or maybe better. Is that factored into that or am I stretching that? No, no, I think that's very intentional that, you know, most cities, most of the buildings, if we are replacing a building, they're over 50 years old. And so we need to plan on our buildings lasting or being there at least for another 50 years. And the last thing you would want to do is look at that building in five years and say, oh, wasn't that a nice trend? Oh, oh, geez. (laughs) And so intentionally, you know, as we design our buildings, as we we do the details for the building as we figure the structure, the systems for the building. It all has to pass that durability, maintainability, sustainable test for us. And that's not just in terms of the operations of it. It's also the design of it. Okay. And timelessness doesn't mean looking back in time at some uh, ye old uh, era. It's <laughs> yeah. really being still of today, not trying to... <laughs> 
be flashy or just uh, too experimental, except we do like our uh, having the license to be dramatic and to be playful uh, where given. But the fundamentals of architecture are still there of having volume, of space, of sequence, of uh, wonderful materialities. It's one of the things the public sector work does because we're taking not the, the short uh, view, it's the long view of it and so what will be enduring over time and really be a reflection of the community values and have them be enduring so they can evolve as well over time. That, that how we use them today is not how they're going to be used in the future. So really putting in flexible infrastructure and allowing the community to transform them over time as well as uh, we're willing. Don't move that chair. Don't adjust <laughs> any aspect of it. We like to see how the buildings uh, evolve over time. Yeah. So when you, do you go back to them or are you oh, all constantly? off it. Really? Yes. What, what's your response? Well, I think, you know, always wanting to continue to learn and to do things better the next time. Not only do we go back to them, we take our current clients back to them, look at what's good, what's oh, working, okay. what's bad, what we can improve on, not just our buildings, other buildings, but then we're also called back to participate in different events at a lot of our buildings. And the Palo Alto project I was just at, and we're going to be at Rinconada, I think, Next week, okay, as well, doing a, a community yeah. event for them. Yeah. How many projects, if you're at liberty to share, do you usually manage to a, a year? Do you ever? We have about thirty to forty active projects at a time. Okay, and so some of those are six month projects, and some of them are six year projects. So we've most people are involved in uh, multiple projects, and the leadership team, the principals, and we have a very talented group of associates who all share in. Uh, project leadership. Yeah. And I just, you know, I think we we all love the projects. And so I kind of wonder, you know, are we ever going to be an 80-person firm? Because I want to work uh-huh. on the projects. I don't really want to do all Okay, them. yeah. And okay. so we, we share the responsibilities of the firm, but I think that is one thing that's in common for the associates and the principals of the firm is we really enjoy our work and we like working on the projects with the communities and the clients. And we do run the office as well, but it's definitely not our first choice of activity. Yeah. Right. So what are some, uh, uh, one of the major challenges that you have to face? If it's on a daily basis, I'm not sure there's a number of them, but in particular, that's kind of challenging of what it, you do as a firm, you know? Well, budgets, budgets, budgets. Okay. Uh, we all, right. all the escalation here. Uh, what was the working for uh, group where we, the, the wish list of what they wanted. And I told my wife, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm having to cut 50 million out of a project budget. And I said, how do you, how did you sleep last night? I said, well, we have a path for it. It just has to do, we needed to demonstrate that the wish list that, uh, whether we're going to have seven new buildings or six, how big those buildings were going to be, how there's, we were able to come to a path to get to the, uh, the right budget target for the, the client and believe it. But managing those expectations and still, uh, not want to make sure people invest in quality for, to be built today and flexibility for the future. There are a lot of flexible ways of designing spaces and program. Dawn's uh, particularly creative in helping people, different stakeholders and groups, each wanting their own spaces. And another one of our principals partners here has done work about designing for activities and behaviors rather than demographics, where different folks are wanting to uh, sort of cut up the resources and then all of those different silos uh, end up diminishing the effects for all of them, where if we can think of how uh, buildings can flex in use during time of the day and uh, really get that maximum 
impact out of it. Excellent. You're listening to the Modern Architect Radio Show on KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford University. Curiosity is a science and wildlife center that seeks to help children acquire the tools needed to deeply understand the changing world. Curiosity engages and educates families and children through natural animal habitats, gardens, exhibits, and programs that relate to the Bay Area and the global environment. You're invited to become a museum member, to volunteer, or to touch science by visiting and meeting the animals. For more information, go to curiodicy.org. That sounds like a great organization. We should design their next space. Excellent. Keep that on, please. I love that. We're talking today with Don Merkis and David Schnee, architects and principals at Group 4 Architecture. For more information, feel free to visit www.g4arch.com. That's g4arch.com. What mindset do you have to go into or where, where do you kind of go each, David and Don, when you go see a prospective new client? Do you have a, is it just completely open, wide whiteboard or chalkboard that you go in and say, I'm going in clear? Or do you have somewhat of an agenda when you talk to them or is there a process that you know that you go through when you first meet a prospective client to share the value that you bring? Well, one of the, so often the process is when not ideal is that you it's like speed dating and you by the time you uh, <laughs> connected to a uh, you've gotten the RFP okay. uh, some chance you have not engaged with the client beforehand and you're not allowed to interact with them to make sure it's fair and so in that case it's quite challenging in those situations we'll often start our process by just as we've been discussing all along here just trying to understand the clients and we'll put it back to questions but most of the time our best projects pursuits are ones that we've known the clients for a long time they've been following our work have been chatting to with our clients and developing a relationship with them and one a university project we recently had the opportunity. We we're so appreciative. The client asked the short list of firms to come in and spend a day uh, touring with the uh, faculty and visiting the existing facilities that were going to be expanded and replaced. And in that process, we said, okay, let's try to understand what are the customer experience, student experience, user experiences for uh, today, like what's working, what's not working. And then let's, and we created avatars just as we're sitting there with a whiteboard, like let's name the student and who are they. And it's a, a, a mature returning student with a child. And, uh, what is their uh, issue? Well, they want food here and the Wi-Fi isn't working and they are lost in the labyrinth of spaces. And well, what's the experience you want? Well, we want a student success that's based on lowering stress and anxiety and our existing building is causing those. And so we have this interaction with them. It's a dialogue through structured techniques, avatars. And then, boy, that just allows us to hit the ground running as we start working with them. And that and a dozen other methods yeah. are just a way to start to take that. Uh, we come in with the white yeah, the uh, white board, paper, yeah. white okay. slate, and then uh, start filling it in uh, together and telling that story. Wow. Don, do you have yeah. a similar? Definitely, you know, given the opportunity to listen, I think is very key to our process. And even though we have a process, I don't think we go into any project that we take the same process every time. It's always got okay. unique responses to that community needs. I, I think it's, it is challenging, the speed dating challenges <laughs> in our profession. Like and reference. it's somewhat unrealistic. And I'm always amazed that clients are going to spend 30 minutes. They'll give you a 15 minute presentation, 15 minute Q and A, and then they're going to work with that selected firm for six years. And have the building for 50 <laughs> years. Like right there. And that's always like astonishing to me, but somehow 
somehow or another. That's <laughs> works out most. It of works the time. out most of the time. But I do think, given the opportunity to really listen and understand what it is is trying to be accomplished and delivered as part of their challenge, is always the most helpful to us because then we're able to try and figure out that path to get them to what they need. Excellent. Is there anything else that we may have not? Oh, there's we could talk for another hour if you had time, but anything that we may not have covered or something you'd like to share to tell our listeners the value of, of uh, what you do and how, what you add to a community. Cause I think it's invaluable. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, uh, something we may not have covered or something you'd like to talk about or something you'd like to share that uh, will really again, as I said, share the value of what it is that you do. Because of course I, I do the show because I think you guys are, you, you mentioned earlier, black cape. Yeah. We're not the black cape for sure. But you're you're not. But actually, in in a funny way, not in a funny way, but in a real way, you are the the caped people to help a community more so than Batman or anyone else. <laughs> no, I know that. I'm sure Marvel won't like that. But 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 but, but really, what black you're doing? <laughs> yeah, you're really doing for the community something that's, uh, as you said, not really the heart yeah. of it is. That's huge. I mean, that's immense. Yeah, I think. Just the opportunity for people in their community to stay engaged, to participate, and to help shape what their built community could be, I, I think is something that I think is really something we should encourage every community, every resident to continue to do. If there are projects or other architects' projects, are we have a lot to do to help shape and form our futures and just encourage people to stay involved and engage because it's really something that is going to be for them and for their the future. Yeah. And I think, Tom, we share a lot in common. So you are an architectural aficionado. You yeah. like to engage people in conversation. We love architecture, like Dawn's inspiration to become an architect, wandering through buildings, the built environment, the communities we have, uh, cities, towns, villages, buildings are just fantastic places that inspire us uh, to be in. And so yeah. interacting with people are what we want to enjoy and have that opportunity to do the next project. We right now have had, I think, we call architecture a practice. Uh, yeah. uh, Dawn and I have been at it a little longer than our junior partners and uh, yeah. associates, but we all, you hit your stride and you're at this point in our careers, I think our best work's ahead of us. So we're just very, That's remain scary. more excited than ever by the opportunities that are in front of us, the changing technologies of construction, the enduring qualities of it, the demand and uh, civil discourse around design is, uh, is something that we just feel super lucky to have. Excellent, David. To play with. Excellent, David and Don. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guests today have been Don Merkis and David Schnee, principals and architect at Group 4. For more information, feel free to visit www.g4arch.com. That's www.g4arch.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, and is a production of KCC Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. 
And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Duro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect.